0: Hello, my friends, this is Brian Q. Davis broadcasting from the Sales Warrior Podcast, a conversation about dominating your marketplace without sacrificing your body, your marriage, your children, or your soul. And today's topic is this, the unifying power of common struggle. Sit back and relax and let's get started. So we're going to continue the sermon series of this podcast with another lesson that uh, was taught at uh, the little church plant that I'm part of here in North Oak Cliff, Dallas, Texas, Trinity Church, and I found myself in a place where I was considering the nature of team leadership. And when I say, when I mean team leadership, I don't mean the leadership leadership of a team, but leadership of, a, of by a team. You see, uh, the biblical model for the leadership of a church is not behind one charismatic preacher or one powerful pastor, but rather a plurality of of spiritually strong men, but I started to think about where have I seen that model play out, and if you think about it in business and in life, it's very rare, but I realized in the exploration of this conversation and in a journey through the book of Philippians that we actually have a model, and that's what this lesson is all about. Okay, all right, excellent. Uh, So welcome, everyone. So glad to be here and in a time and space to listen and study God's Word and what He has for us. Um, So, yesterday I got the opportunity to go on a walk and talk with some of the men of the church, and uh, it was uh, edifying and rejuvenating and powerful, um, as always, to find what God has for us when we seek Him together. He always brings gifts. Um, one, of the, one of the pieces of that conversation yesterday, uh, as I read through a, a small book that I've been given uh, about biblical eldership, uh, it was talking about the, the concept of team leadership in a church and how a church is really meant to be uh, led by a team. Not one person, not one guy. Now, in military, it's the general, right? In business, it's the CEO or the boss. But in church, it's a little bit different. And we ask ourselves, and this this is a little paragraph out of this book that I was reading uh, as I was uh, talking to our brother John here. And I'll just read you the paragraph. It says, team leadership can be painfully slow and terribly aggravating. It requires patience, persevering prayer, wisdom, self-control, humility, trust, love, genuine respect for the gifts and perspectives of others in the body of Christ. And when approached with meekness and mutual submission, it will result in Proven character. Proven character. I started thinking about that concept. Um, And I started thinking about where have I seen that in my life? Where have I seen effective team leadership? And I realized it's like, it's pretty rare. Um, If you're not familiar, if you don't know me that well, I played 17 seasons of rugby. And um, most of those, there was a few really good seasons. Most of those seasons especially in the second half of my career, were absolute beatings, beatings every Saturday. Uh, We lost way more games than we won in the second half of my career. But I was thinking back to there was two particular seasons where I was on two teams that I saw this idea of, uh, of team leadership play out. There was one season in college I played at LSU, and I started thinking about why we, we went twenty-two in though, Twenty-two wins in a row. I was like, well, "How do we do that? What, what was the characteristics of that team?" And I realized that one of the core things was that it had a core group of leaders inside of it. Um, we had a guy from uh, that had been born in, born in Portugal named Bernie. We had a, a loud mouth named Mikey that uh, was was. Uh, always kind of the jokester. We had a, a more quiet guy that we called Scooby. We had a couple of Cajuns called uh, one named Joe and one Timmy from, uh, from South Louisiana. We had a guy from Atlanta um, and we had our coach. And those guys, those four or five guys really led a team of about 40 people, 40 players, right? Um, and, but they were core to the collective leadership of that team. And if you're not familiar, a rugby team has 15 players on the field at any given time. This is four or five of them. And I saw those were the guys that were there. I thought about this again. I saw, I saw this one time when I played in Huntington Beach where we had two guys from New Zealand. We had a guy, Jeff Brandon, who was kind of the old, old guard. He's, he was ancient. Somehow he was still taped together playing rugby. I don't know how. Uh, we had this little short fireball guy with curly hair that was fresh off the boat from New Zealand named Jono. Uh, And we had a guy that was, you know, he seemed to be eight feet tall. His name was Andrew Benz and we actually called him anchor because he was kind of the anchor of the team. So it was two times where I saw this play out. Those guys were there and I thought, what were the characteristics of those guys? They were, they were, you never had to worry if they're going to show up for the game. You never had to worry if they're going to show up for practice. They trained extra. They did not lead from any place of ego. They just lead from results. and they. They all collectively had gone through some tough stuff together, whether that be a tough game, tough practices, tough training, tough seasons, even tough areas of life. They had gone through something together in some type of common struggle that inside of that they found themselves bound to these other men that they were, they were then able to take that into the next season. The winning season didn't start in the winning season. The winning season started in the struggle and the beating of the three seasons before where you didn't win a game. And so, as I was thinking about that, I was coming back to our study of Philippians. And I realized that in much the same way that these rugby teams, I mean, these were these were guys of all different shakes, you know, walks of life. Different places in the country, different ages, different backgrounds, different, I mean, you could argue different languages, if you, depending on how thick the New Zealand accent is. Uh, But they all had different backgrounds and I realized that that the Church of Philippi had the same situation If you come back to some of the lessons we've done in the past you realize that the first members of the Church of Philippi Was Lydia? And What was Lydia? Lydia was an entrepreneur. She sold in an expensive purple goods Um, So she's probably pretty wealthy Who else was there a slave girl that they had cast out a demon? This is a slave girl. She came from nothing. Who knows? She may not have even know who her parents were or anything. She came from nothing, and now she's standing next to Lydia, who is uh, an entrepreneur and a businesswoman. And then there's a jailer, a jailer who thought he thought he was in so much trouble because uh, Paul had gotten out of jail when the earthquake came that he was gonna have to kill himself. Like he was more afraid of Caesar than God. But all of a sudden, these three people somehow find themselves together, and those are the people that among others, that Paul is writing this letter to. So, how can we, like what unified those people? What was the thing that unified them? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, thank you for this time and space once again to uh, just come and study your word. To gather with brothers and sisters who are interested in what you have for us. And we come to you with humble and contrite hearts that we ask that this time be a place where we are reduced to the dust we are and you are glorified in every moment we get to spend here in collective focus and presence to hear what your word has to say. In your son Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're going to be in uh, Philippians. Uh, Strangely enough uh, in uh, verse. uh, I'm sorry verse chapter 1 verses 27 through 30. Now you actually have a handout this week Thank you, Susanna. She said that it's I'm not doing a good job unless I have a handout. So we've got a handout (laughs) Uh, So you have a handout there with the verses on it, Uh, but we're gonna talk about um, Kind of four components to this, these four verses and how they break down. And we're going to come just go through it line by line and see how this plays out and end up asking some powerful questions. Um, the first thing you need to know is that there's a command here. There's a command in the first line that Paul is writing to these people, Lydia, the jailer, the save girl, and all the other folks. He says the following, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that, in, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, if we break this down, the first line there, what he's encouraging them to do, and this is an encouragement to all of us, is number one. Uh, you know, on your outline, we're called to reflect the gospel as believers. Let your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let your life be worthy of that. Are you reflecting what the gospel says? He says, do that so that regardless of whether I am there, that I may hear of you. Now, what this is saying is, look, let your actions be such. Let your actions and let your behavior and your manner of life have such impact on those around you that I hear about it 800 miles away. To give you some sense, that's about how far Philippi is from Rome where Paul is writing. No internet. He wants to hear about it. Now, you must be doing something that is set apart and pretty different and causing some conflict or causing some stir in the local community if you're going to hear about it 800 miles away. And that's exactly what he says. That I may hear of what? Hear of you doing what? Standing firm. The Greek word there is stako, which means to pers- persevere, to persist, to keep one standing. I.e., I, I want to hear that you're not giving up. Amen. That's what he's saying. I want to hear 800 miles away that in Philippi, you're not giving up. And you're not giving up and you're standing firm in what? One spirit and one mind. Now, if we break the, the Greek down there, one spirit is one pneuma. Or one wind, one breath. It's really it's the same it's the same verb or it's the same word that's used in Genesis. It's that spirit, it's the all-moving breath of God. That you're being blown by breath by God's breath. Together. Amen. And he also says one mind, which would be I'm not going to try to be, uh, the the uh, you pronounce it in English psyche, but it's souke in Greek. If the if the pneuma is the thing that moves everything, the psyche is the thing, the mover of everything in you. That you're standing firm with your brothers and sisters in one mind, one one. You're ca- you're caught on the same wind. You're caught on the same wind. You're being blo- you're seeking to be blown by the same wind. Collectively and individually. For what? Striving and struggling, striving to struggle at the same time. Side by side. We talked about this last week, not alone. Where we said, one is none and two is one. That's the what the Navy SEALs say. It means that you're doing it with someone, that you're not just standing alone, you're not in the fight, you're not trying to do it yourself. You're finding a brother and sister and you're, you're getting that shield, that, Ro- that Roman shield right next to them. For what? For the faith. The Greek word is pistos. It means that your conviction, your conviction, your certainty, your resolve of the gospel. What? My conviction of the good news that I know, that I've been given. And we are standing firm in that. So he says, stand firm, don't give up, be blown by the same wind all together, collectively and individually. Find a brother or sister to stand next to or multiple ones to stand next to for your conviction in the good news you have been given. And so my question to you would be, where right now, relative to the gospel, have you been giving up? Where have you been giving up? Even if it's just that momentary pity party that we have for ourselves and who's guilty of that yes amen right where we get into that place of despair and we forget what we've been given we forget the war's already won we forget there's already a million points on the scoreboard and the enemy has zero we forget that so we kind of have this moment of momentarily give up Somewhere right right now in your life, ask yourself, where are you giving up? And where do you need to stand firm? And who is it, who is the person or people right now in your life that you need to stand side by side with? Who's somebody in your life right now that you know you should be standing side by side with them and you just haven't been? Could be a family member. Could be your husband wife. Could be your child could be someone in this room could be a coworker, somebody in your life that you need to stand side by side with because what happens when you do this if we move on to verse 28 he says striving side by side for the gospel and for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents this is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation Now know this, the minute you take a stand and stand firm for the gospel, by its very nature, there's resistance. When you take a stand, there's always, always, always going to be opposition. That's the game. You can't go and play rugby. You can't play the rugby game and not have another team to play against. You don't have a sport. You don't have anything. You're just on the team. Well, we're called to be in the game. And so the minute we step on the field, there's going to be opposition. But when we are not frightened, <laughs> we're not frightened. We're, not, we're called not to be frightened by anything by our opponents. And this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, uh, but of your salvation and that from God. I used to have a friend of mine, this same guy from Portugal. His name is Bernie. Some of you may have met I think Jamie, you might have met him one time. Um, he's from Miami and he talks smack the whole game. Like the whole game, he's talking smack to the team, other team. And we would typically run up the score in the first half, and then the other team would start talking at us, like just trying to, you know, discourage and smack talk and all this kind of stuff. And he used to do this thing. He'd just go, hey, bro, scoreboard. Scoreboard. <laughs> and so it's that sign to, their, it's the sign to the opponent's destruction when we can point at the scoreboard. The scoreboard that was won on that hill the scoreboard that was won whenever he didn't give up when he climbed that hill with a cross on his back. The scoreboard that was won when he forgave his enemies. Scoreboard. So when when the opposition comes to taking a stand for Jesus Christ, you just simply, you're commanded here, do not be afraid. The only way we're afraid is when we're not looking at the scoreboard. When we're looking at the opponent and we're not looking at the scoreboard. So look at the scoreboard. So where right now in your life are you frightened by an opponent to the gospel? Now, who is that opponent? We got opponents all over the place. The news, politics, I mean, culture. There's opponents everywhere. The minute you step onto the field as a Christian standing for the gospel, you have opponents everywhere. All of them trying to intimidate you into not speaking up into not saying anything, into not showing up to church, into not being part of a body, my encouragement would be to look at them in the eye and say, scoreboard. Look at yourself in the mirror and say, scoreboard. Remember what he did on the hill. And remember what he did three days later. So what would happen in your life right now if you quit looking at the opposition? and just looked at the scoreboard. Because what? Verse 29. For it is then granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him but also suffer for His sake. I was talking to our brother John yesterday on our walk and talk. And he had some great wisdom. He said, you know, you don't, <laughs> you don't grow if there's not some struggle. Amen. Who wants to grow I do but thing is we all want the easy pill right To take the pill get in shape take the thing win the game it doesn't work that way it's like it's like we, we've been granted heaven we've been granted the forgiveness for our wretched souls of the things that we have done we have been forgiven we should be in a ditch at least I should should be in a ditch and yet I'm forgiven but that's like, going, that's like saying, I want to win the championship, but I don't want to be sore after the game. <laughs> I want to do the, win the CrossFit Open, and I don't want to feel any kind of <laughs> little thing after that. I don't want to feel beat up. I want a church with no struggle. I want to build a body of brothers and sisters, but I don't want there to be any uncomfortable conversations. I never want to have to get exposed. I never want to get sunburned by the gospel. I never want to have to step out and show courage and be vulnerable. Boy, we've seen some of that lately. Absolute courage. I'd even say some on these little walking talks we've been doing. Our brother Richard, incredible courage a few weeks ago. Brother Michael, incredible courage a couple weeks ago last night I mean this is contagious Amen. so we get to be in that resistance we get to be better we get to be in that rugby game that's tough we I had a, I had a had an Australian coach Randall Clark Randall I hope you hear this he w- our our practices were harder than the game I know Jamie Jamie prayed tennis at a super high level probably would say the same you got good because your practices were harder than the matches, right? I mean, that's like what it takes to be champion level. These practices that Randall, Coach Randall, would just absolutely beat us to death. And people quit. People left. This is too hard. But when it came game time, the game was easy. The other team didn't know what hit them. We weren't afraid of any opponents because we'd done our reps on the, on, the, on the Thursday and Friday, Tuesday and Thursday during rugby practice. Thank you, Coach Randall. <laughs> so where right now in your life are you complaining about suffering? Mm. I know I've been. Complaining. I even said it to Emory last night. I said, man, I just want, to, I just want some of this to stop. I just, want, I just want it to stop. He said, it's not going to stop. Amen. That's not what we're called to. You took a stand. Amen. You took a stand. When you take a stand in the middle of the war, the warfare, the river, of all this, the river of opposition is not going to stop flowing. That's not what we're called to. Welcome to the game. So, where right now can I exchange my suffering and stop complaining about suffering and instead uh, exchange my complaints for Thanksgiving? Where right now am I suffering in an area and I can say thank you for that suffering? Thank you, you know, Coach Randall, for the practice that beat me the heck up on Thursday so I was ready for the game on Saturday. Thank you, God, for the beating that we're taking right now, we're taking the last few weeks, taking the last year, COVID, everything we've all been through. Where can we say, you know what, thank you for that? Because Lydia had to go through that, this jailer, this slave girl in Philippi. Remember we talked a couple of weeks ago, like all the chaos that got created for them uh, by taking a stand in Philippi. I can promise you Lydia didn't get more business in Philippi whenever she took a stand and stopped worshiping Roman gods. I can promise you that the slave girl didn't get more. Like, she, 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 she was now having to be taken care of by her brothers and sisters because her masters that were leveraging her for money by telling fortunes no longer had that. This jailer, well, he's unemployed. He's probably worried somebody's going to kill him. Right? So, but, but he's saying, hey, guys, take all that. Be thankful for it. And then finally, because it's in that conflict, it's in that conflict, in that warfare, that's where the unification happens. It's in the struggle. It's not in the win. It's in the struggle that leads to the win is where the unification of your teammates and your brothers and sisters happens. He says right here engaged in the same verse 230 engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here that you that and now here that I still have we're in the same ball game 800 miles away we're in the same ball game fighting the same opposition on the same team so the point of this point is this the ultimate source of unity for Christians is in the character-building common struggle of suffering for the sake of Christ. The enemy loves division. Loves to divide specifically brothers and sisters in Christ over all kinds of things, as again, typically they come from the place that, as Papa Ron has said, whenever we are contemplating our navels and looking at ourselves, worshiping our belly... When we're in that place, it's real easy to get divided. But whenever I look across the, you know, look, look over on the field and I see my brother or sister struggling and I see that they're struggling in the same game I am right now and then I go run over there to be next to them, run over there to get side by side by them, all of a sudden I get the gift of running to them and they get the gift of somebody running to them. You just feel this? This is what happens in the 79th minute of an 80-minute 80, 80 rugby game. This is why you train. In rugby, It can pretty, it's very violent. And the opposition might try to step on your head. Except when your brother shows up right in that last second. You don't have anything left. And he rucks over and protects you from the 800-pound opposition. And then you get that little moment of, oh, thank you, God. He showed up. I'm going to trust that man. I'm going to trust that woman. They showed up when the heat was on. They didn't give up. They stood firm. They were blown by the same wind I was. You see, we all have a common gift, the gift of the gospel. And we have the gift of the forgiveness that comes as part of that. But it's like, imagine if we all got the same gift for Christmas. That would be cool. We'd have a common experience. Oh, we all got the same thing. This is a cool thing. I got the new iPhone, whatever it was. I got the same gift. That's awesome. But have you considered that it's in the struggle where the unity happens? It's in that moment where you remember, hey, remember that time when there was this chaos and Emery showed up or Michael showed up or Robbie showed up or Tara was there? Remember that moment? Remember that little encouraging word that Brother John said that moment? Or when Britney pivoted and made some music happen. Remember that time? Those are what I'm talking about. That's the struggle. And so, what's the practical application of this? I have three questions. Three questions to ask yourself. Ask yourself, what is or are my struggles right now? What are they? Take a minute and, you know, write that down. There's power in that. And then ask yourself, who else do I know that has that same struggle? And then how can I stand with that brother or sister today? Not next week, literally right now. And take an action. Number four, act on it. Don't let the the, the little push that comes and says, hey, send the text, send the video send the message, make the phone call, go see somebody, say the prayer, get on your knees, read the scripture. Whatever that might be when you feel that push, act. We're not called to be just doers of the word, or uh, uh, hearers of the word, but doers. But the key to all of that with your brothers and sisters is exposure. Exposure. Exposure see on your outline first John 1 7 but if we walk in the light and he is the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from our sin when you ask yourself the question the honest question and you don't lie to yourself and you ask yourself what are my real struggles you are exposing yourself to yourself you're getting clear about exactly where you are right now when you ask yourself who else has this struggle You turn in that outward, as as Papa Ron, Coach, Coach Ron, Papa Ron, he is kind of a coach. As Papa Ron said a few weeks ago, turn outward. He said the Spirit put those words on his heart. Turn outward. We're going to take that and, and look at someone else honestly and say they're struggling. What can I do? But one of the things is that we don't always know what everybody's struggle is, and that doesn't happen magically. It happens through the willingness to be exposed and seek exposure first by exposing our own conscience and spirit and mind and heart against the burning fire of the gospel. And guess what? When we do that, it's going to burn. But if you aren't getting sunburned constantly, you're not standing close enough to a hot enough fire. And so there's been some some conversations about Trinity Church And, you know, what that looks like. And I'm not going to say this is comprehensive, but some thoughts that I had. This came out of, again, our walk and talk and some other conversations. I said, you know, what is the stand that we're going to take here? (coughs) Wrote out some of these things and discussed them yesterday. Some simple things. What's the stand? Number one, we're going to take a stand that the Bible is true. The end. The end. And that we become experts in discerning truth when we spend a lot of time with the truth. If you're not familiar, that's how they figure out, that's how they train people on counterfeit money. They expose them to real money all the time and they they can tell the difference. Number two, every answer to every possible question we could have anytime, forever in our life is in this book. That's it. It's all right here. We just got to be willing to go get it. And that relative to church... God is the customer of this. We're not the customer of church. God's the customer of church. We ask ourselves, what does He want? He wants His Word to be read. He wants His Word to be taught. He wants worship. He wants community. And we're going to do those things. Where, do we, where does that lead to a conflict? It, it, it leads to a conflict in, that I, I see us as the following. A hospital and a refuge for sinners. All of us, who are sinners, and all of those that yet to know him, but are also sinners. So that any person that can walk in these doors, or walk into a kitchen, or walk into a dining room, or or a table that we might have, that's a refuge for them. And that we're, number two, a recharging station and an equipping station for the saints. To be equipped to have those conversations. To be equipped to be, be the medic in the hospital. And number three, we're, we cannot and shall not be hidden as a city on the hill, a light that cannot and shall not be hidden. And that light on that hill is King Jesus Christ, the name above all names. That's, what, that's the light that we put on the hill. His name, where every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess, and that's what we will do. So what does that look like practically? Well, number one, it comes back to Coach Papa Ron's spirit-led comment. I said, look outward. Number two, it's got to have a leader, a team of leadership. It's got to be a team. You're all, here. You're all here. Welcome to the team of leadership. And number three, that we actively seek to create experiences and frames where we can create opportunities to build biblical character together. And that's doing hard things together. That's pivoting on a Sunday morning with our music that's getting up at 7am and going on a walk that's having a conversation you want to have and uh, as we build this together one of the things that we value is that active seeking of those types of experiences to build character because what do we learn in Romans where does that come from Romans 5 three. Let's read the whole thing. five one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace through God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained by access by faith into, the, into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces what? Character. 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 And character <clears throat> produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Amen. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Amen. How good is he? How good is he? So... That's what, that's what we're, we're an endurance building station. Amen. So that we can bring some hope. Be that salt and light to the rest of the world. So ask yourself these questions. Answer these questions. They're tough. They're exposing. And find yourself in a place where you can move and act when you're prompted. Because it is going to take all of us in, um, in this ball game. let's pray Lord thank you for your word thank you for the your faithful servants who stuck together and fought side-by-side thousands of years ago in Philippi group of people that came from different places Different experiences, different backgrounds, but they unified in the conflict and the suffering that comes when they take a stand for your son. Lord, I ask that you give us that same peace in the conflict that Paul is encouraging them to have. I ask that our body be encouraged. I ask that our body unify. I ask that our body seize the schemes of the enemy. And that they are rebuked at every turn with a simple point at the scoreboard of what happened on that hill that your son did for us. Lord, I pray pray now for our little ones. The little flaming arrows that are being built and equipped down the hall. I pray for Perry and Linnea this morning. Who are not feeling well. But thank you for the light they bring to our lives. And I pray that the healing and the recovery is swift for them. Lord, bless these brothers and sisters as we go into the week. Let them be equipped with the words they heard today. Let them be equipped to not be frightened, to stand firm, and to be willing to act when that spirit, when your spirit pushes. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.